Uh, morning, everybody. Good to see you. Um, those of you who don't know me, I'm Caleb, uh, one of the leaders here at Gateway. So uh, before we get into today, just want to um, give you a quick reminder that at the start of this term, we invited you, kind of challenged you um, to consider uh, participating in three uh, practices that we believe are life-changing and world-shaking. And um, so we're encouraging you to think about through this term how you feed on God daily. We left these intentionally very broad for you to work out what that looks like in your own life. Um, so feeding on, on God daily, uh, feasting with others weekly, so sharing some kind of hospitality or whatever that might be. Might be coffee, might be beans on toast, might be a seven-course taster menu at a nice restaurant. Um, no one's invited me on one of those yet, actually. If anyone wants to, I'm happy to oblige. Um, and fasting weekly as well. So again, fasting normally in the Bible is going without food uh, for a specific period of time. Um, but we recognize that actually you can fast from other things as well. So it's worth considering that. So we um, just set that out at the start of this term. Uh, would you just uh, wave at me if you've experienced some hospitality this term? If somebody's extended hospitality to you, would you just stick your hand in the air and wave? whole bunch of you. That's great, isn't it? Some hands not up yet, so make sure you invite other people as well. That would be great. Um, so yeah, so hopefully that is going well for you. It's certainly been great being part of the little um, version. Uh, I don't know what it's called, reading plan, isn't it, through Mark that we're doing. Uh, if you're not on that, head to the info point. I'm sure you will uh, pick up some information about how you can join in with that as well. See other people's comments and reflections on a very short passage of uh, the book of Mark that we're reading each day. Okay, so um, some of you might remember uh, a while back, do you remember we, we had a bit of a focus around, um, it, a, there was a book and a series of meetings we did called Sustainable Power, do you remember that? It was a, a book written by a guy called Simon Holly, who's a church leader down in Bedford, and um, I heard him speak a little while ago, and he had a really helpful picture um, that I, I want to share for two reasons this morning that, that relates to this whole idea of the church as army, or more technically, maybe this one's about the church as navy, which is not a um, specific thing mentioned in the New Testament, um, but it's kind of military, so we'll, we'll go with the flow. But, um, but they, uh, they essentially, um, so we're in, they, by the way, just so you know, this, is, this series, we're kind of taking a break after this week, uh, the king and his army, we've got three weeks of different things happening, and then we're picking things up again uh, in the run-up to Christmas. Um, but Simon Holly um, has this picture, and they use this picture to try and unpack um, some words that Jesus spoke to his followers in John chapter 16, verse 33, when he said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. These are super encouraging words of Jesus. And what Simon Holly talks about, they, they have in their church, they, they come back to this picture time and time again, is they talk about how as a Christian, you need to know what kind of ship you were born onto. And, and that what they talk about is that you need to realize you were born not on a cruise ship, but on a battleship, okay? So the idea being, and they unpack this and they use it a lot, and you can teach a lot around this, I'm sure, but the main idea is that really, when you're on a battleship <clears throat> and a, a missile hits that ship or a bomb falls on that ship, the response to that is like, 
here we go. This is what we're made for. We've trained for this. We know how to deal with it. We were expecting this. It kind of comes with the territory. Let's go. Whereas if you are on a cruise ship, sipping on your pina colada by the pool, and a bomb drops into that swimming pool, you go, well, the reaction is very different, isn't it? You don't go, here we go. I was trained for this. We were expecting this. I paid thousands of pounds to be on this cruise ship, ready for this moment. Uh, you don't at all. It's a surprise. It takes you in a surprising and unexpected way. And, um, and really what they're talking about is that in, in life, we have trouble. We should expect this. As a Christian, when you come to faith, if somebody promised you a nice, easy life, the equivalent of a cruise ship, comfort and every pleasure at your demands, then actually they've sold you a dud. That's not what Jesus is selling us at all when he says, follow me. He says, in life, uh, you will have many trials and sor sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Now, I share that for two reasons, like I said. The first is that I think maybe some people just need to hear that today if you're going through some trouble and, um, and you're hitting some trials and sorrows. You need to hear Jesus' words when he says, take heart because I have overcome the world. The second reason I share that story today is because we, you can do all kinds of comparisons, and you can have all these wonderful pictures where we, you know, because we have this, this image given to us in the New Testament of the church as the army of God, we can go down the route of having these kind of pictures and, and analogies, and we compare ourselves to like an, an army of this world. And there are some really good things and some good truths to be mined, and we can make some good comparisons. So when it comes to things like being disciplined, when it comes to things like, like training, like being unified together, when it comes to things like being obedient to Jesus, the commanding officer. We can relate these things to, to what we might learn from a physical, well-trained army of this world. But one thing I want to be really clear on, and I think we just need to be careful about, is that alongside that, the army that God calls us to, that we become part of when we commit our lives to Jesus, is very different in many, many ways to the armies of this world. Jesus initiated an upside-down kingdom, and in many ways, it is an upside-down army. So sometimes we just need to guard against when we get talking about the church as army. Some of us might kind of get a little bit fired up and think, oh, this is like some kind of militaristic campaign. And you might not be, you know, cleaning off your AK-47 in your garage, but we might be starting to consider, well, maybe we need to be a bit more like aggressive or confrontational in our faith. I want to just kind of remind us right at the start that Ultimately, and, and I, I think this is the main difference between a, an army of this world and God's army, is that we are motivated by love. Like, that's at the heart of it. John touched on that a couple of weeks ago. It's not about crushing our enemies. It's about loving our enemies. It's not about fighting back, but it's about turning the other cheek. It's not about aggression towards other people. It's about serving others and laying down our lives for them. Jesus is the perfect role model to us in this, isn't he? Instead of him crushing his enemies or the, the people who were opposed to him, he certainly crushed Satan's head when he died on the cross. But instead of crushing those who opposed him, the humans who, who opposed him, he allows them to crucify him. Instead of building a worldly empire of 
palaces and land conquests and annexations of other lands. He chooses to be the guy who has no home or place to lay his head. So we need to remember that when it comes to this whole idea of the church as army, we are called to love and serve those who, might, who we might feel are opposing us or resisting us in some ways. And I believe that actually we're more effective when we take that route anyway, when we choose to listen rather than bash out comments under YouTube videos in our best keyboard warrior style. So uh, today we are going to uh, just kind of, that's just a, a kind of opening thought really, but today we are looking at a specific weapon in this battle, in this fight, and it is very much an upside down weapon. So it is along those themes that we've been touching on already. A couple of weeks ago, John um, spoke, and he briefly touched on or talked about the armor of God, um, kind of common theme that many people will be aware of, and some of the weapons that we have. So lots of defensive armor, but also some offensive weapons as well. And today I do want to talk about one of these key powerful weapons that we have, and that is prayer. So we're going to be talking about prayer today. Now, uh, that probably doesn't excite you. I'm very aware of that, and I'm not here to try and make prayer exciting today, believe it or not. I'm just trying to unpack the importance of it, because I sometimes think we probably need to get kind of through the thing of not everything in Christian life is going to be exciting, but it's good. Um, So I believe that if we want to see God's kingdom advance, then prayer is going to be a key weapon in that advance. Uh, Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary to China, um, involved with the China Inland Mission, he once wrote to a fellow missionary, and he was describing a province of China where they had tried to enter and hit up against serious resistance to any kind of outside influence, in particular the missionaries who were coming to bring the gospel. And he wrote to this fellow missionary, and he said this in his letter. He said, brother, if you would enter that province, you must go forward on your knees. And really, that's the heart of today's message. I want to suggest that if we want to see kingdom advance, then prayer is one of the most powerful weapons we have, and we must go forward on our knees. So what I want to do to start with is I want to race through the book of Acts, and I want to pull out a whole load of examples and situations where prayer is at the heart of it. And we're going to race through this, so kind of fasten your seatbelts. We're not going to spend very long in each one. Uh, We're going to race right through. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 24, this is before they choose choose leaders, so um, they're trying to replace Judas uh, with a new disciple. Verse 24, then they all did what? They praised. O Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry, for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. Still a little bit of resentment towards Judas and his role in, uh, in uh, being a traitor to Jesus, understandable. But they pray. They say, we need, a, we need a replacement here. And so the first thing they do is they pray. Let's go on to Acts chapter 4, verse 24. This is 
after having some um, serious persecution. Um, so Peter and John, I believe it is, have uh, been hauled before the authorities and had to give an account for what they are up to. And we read this. They've, they've just been released and they return to the other believers. And, uh, and this is what we read in verse 24. When they heard the report, this is the, other, the larger crowd of believers, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. And uh, they, pray, they pray various things. Uh, but I want to read then on from verse 29. They say this, And now, O Lord, hear their threats, as in the people who are opposing them, and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then what happens? After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. They prayed, God moved, the kingdom advanced. Uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 6. So what has happened in this moment is um, the apostles have chosen seven leaders to lead and serve the people. And we read this from verse 6. These seven were presented to the apostles who did what? They prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. And what was the result? So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. They prayed, God moved, the kingdom advanced. Acts chapter 9, verse 40. So Peter, I mean, put yourself in Peter's shoes. He has been called to the home of one of the church members who has died, And um, basically, they're like, what can you do, Peter? Peter asked them all to leave the room. Then he did what? He knelt and prayed. Turning to the body, she was definitely dead, not turning to the person. Turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them alive. The news spread through the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. What happened? Peter got on his knees and he prayed. God moved. The kingdom advanced. Many believed because of this one miracle. Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Peter has been arrested. He's put in prison by Herod Agrippa. And how does the church respond? Verse 5. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. And then we read that night, uh, the night before Peter was placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him. I can't believe that he wasn't awake already. An angel has appeared in glorious light in his cell and he's still asleep. The angel strikes him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, get dressed, put on your sandals. And he, de- and he did. Now, he has, to, he has to walk him through it step by step. I also love that. It's not like he says, get all your stuff together. He's like, quick, I know you're a bit sleepy, but get dressed, put on your sandals. He's done that. And then he did. Now put on your coat and follow me. Step by step. Peter's in a bit of a daze. But what happens? Uh, the people, the church, they prayed earnestly. God moved. Peter's released from prison. The kingdom is advancing. Uh, Acts chapter 13, 
verse 3. And this really is a turning point in the book of Acts at the beginning of chapter 13. The focus really moves from uh, the, the main happenings of the church being in Jerusalem uh, to now being in Antioch, which is further afield. This is part of God's church, his, his plan, Jesus' plan when he said to them, go into all the world. He sent them to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we're moving outward throughout the book of Acts. Chapter 13 is a new point in that story. Uh, a leadership team has formed in the church in Antioch. They decide to send out Paul and uh, Barnabas and Saul. And this is what we read from, uh, let's go from verse 2. Uh, One day, as these men were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after what? After more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them away. And we know what happens next. This is the start of a new phase in the life of the church. They prayed and fasted for these men, Barnabas and Saul. They were sent out by the Holy Spirit. We read in verse 4, and off they go, starting churches all over the near world. The people prayed, God moved, and his kingdom advanced. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. Uh, what happens now, they, they are out and about, um, Paul and Barnabas, they are planting churches all over the place, and we read this as they, this was kind of their thing, they would start a church, gather a group of people, hand it over to local elders. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church. How did they do it? With prayer and fasting, they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put they their trust. <clears throat> then they traveled back through these places. They preached the word in somewhere else, and then they went down to somewhere else. So <clears throat> again, what do we have? Paul and Barnabas, prayer and fasting, God moving, the kingdom of God advancing. They move on to the next place where again they see churches formed, God advancing, the kingdom advancing. Uh, next one, Acts chapter 16. Uh, verse 25, Paul and Silas are now in prison, and we read, uh, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. I just want to pause at this point, because it struck me as I read this. It's at midnight that Paul and Silas were praying. This wasn't like, you know, part of my daily routine, I'm, I get up in the morning, I have my shower, I spend a few minutes with God. This was at midnight. They were up in the night praying. This was a, a key moment. They, they, were, they were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. I often wonder what the other prisoners were thinking at this point. I suspect they weren't too happy about the fact that their fellow cellmates were singing hymns and praying at midnight, just let us go to sleep. Anyway, there's a benefit to them in a moment. Uh, suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. He knew he was going to be in trouble. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We are all here! The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. 
and they shared the word of the Lord with them and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Uh, Then he and everyone in his household was immediately baptized. Everyone loves a 2 a.m. baptism. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. How did that come about? Paul and Silas at midnight were praying and singing hymns. God moves, the kingdom advances, and this whole household are baptized and come to faith in Christ. We could find many more examples in the book of Acts, but you've probably got the point. Prayer is there throughout the entire story of the early church. It was key. They prayed, they prayed and sang hymns, they prayed and they prayed and fasted. And God moves, God's kingdom advances. We could fast forward through past the end of the church history that we read in the book of Acts. And if we went through pretty much every single major move of God throughout history uh, until this point even, whether it's the Hebridean revival or the Welsh revival or revivals in Bolivia or China or what's going on in Iran today, we would find at the heart of it the church committing to prayer and God moving and the kingdom advancing. If you were to look at our history as a church, so some of you will know that we haven't always been called Gateway Church. We used to go by the name Acom Christian Fellowship, ACF. And uh, in the early days of ACF, there was some teaching around. Some of you would have even been around. It was well before my time. Um, I'm hesitant to say I wasn't even born, but I wasn't even born. And um, <coughs> sorry to those of you. It's great being old. Don't, don't feel bad for being old. It's awesome. And... Um, <coughs> Oh, shovel. Somebody get me a shovel. <clears throat> anyway, in the early days, I am told that there was quite a lot of teaching about God moving in response to united, persevering, extraordinary prayer. So the outworking of that in the life of the church was a commitment to that kind of prayer. So four weekends per year, uh, the men would go away for a weekend of prayer and fasting. Uh, Some of you will have been involved in those. Um, I'm also told that through the night, every Saturday night, uh, people would get up in the night to commit to pray for an hour all the way through from Saturday night to Sunday morning in hour slots, a continuous wall of prayer. There were individuals who committed themselves to this kind of persevering, extraordinary prayer. I feel I should mention three of those women, um, Ulla Thompson, Mabel Preston, and Helen Murray, uh, names that for many of us you won't have even met or known those people, but some certainly will. Uh, These were older women who, all due to one circumstance or another, were living alone and were known as prayer warriors. What a brilliant kind of picture of the upside-downness of the kingdom of God and of this army. You can be a warrior who is an older woman living alone, committed to seeing God's kingdom come and us going forward on our knees. These guys, we will never know the impact, the true impact that those prayers have had on the life of this church, but we should honor those who have done that. And some of you today still who commit to praying regularly for all aspects of the life of this church. Prayer is a weapon and you can be a warrior no matter what your age or stage of life. I love that about the kingdom of God. 
throughout various um, kind of points in the, in the history of this church, whether it has been around building projects and miraculous things happening with, the, there's an old story about a building, a listed building being delisted by the government, which uh, we were led to believe was the first time in history that this had happened, and it happened in response to the church gathering to pray. Many, many key steps along the way in the history of this church have been God moving in response to us praying. Now, I, I, I do realize that, you know, this isn't anything, this isn't like some wonderful brand new teaching this morning. Oh, you've really unpacked a key area of scripture that we didn't know. We kind of know, don't we? Like, you pray, God answers it, God does it. But, but it's good to remember these things. It's good to look at history through scripture and through maybe your own life and think, where, where have been the times where God has moved? And, um, and so this is really basic stuff, and you will not be surprised that I have three points this morning, and they're all one point because they're basically all pray. And um, so you, you will probably feel shortchanged, but um, I'm not going to apologize for that this morning because I think that's the kind of point we want to make, is that pray, pray, pray. So anyway, so what do we do? If we want to see God's kingdom come, maybe these are three steps that we should be considering. The first is pray. Uh, and maybe the starting point here is that actually, uh, I, I remember having a conversation with a guy who um, was, was part of, I, I'm not sure if he would call himself a monk or not, but he was um, part of a, a kind of commune, I, I'm using all the wrong words because I can't remember the right ones, uh, but he, this was a chap who had c devoted himself, taken a vow to like poverty and prayer, and, um, and I remember talking to him and I was just saying, I feel like my prayer life's a bit stale, um, kind of you know, what, what can I do? Have you got some tips for me? And he was like, prayer is going to feel stale at points in your life. Like, it, it's not always going to be this dynamic, wonderful thing. But he's like, God honors even the desire to, to desire to pray, <laughs> which I thought was really profound. It was like, you know, you, you might not feel like you really want to pray, but, but the fact is that because you feel like you, you want to feel like you want to pray, it's like God honors that. God sees the heart behind that. And so maybe our first step is actually, God, would you give us a heart for prayer? God, would you give us a heart to, to not just pray, but to see the, the results of prayer, to see your kingdom come? God, would you give us your heart? We, we need to be praying that God would align our hearts with his, that he would break our hearts for the last, the least, and the lost. A couple of weeks ago, John Day was highlighting the work of Christians against poverty, and something just a really basic thing stuck, up, stuck out to me when he was talking about the reality of the cost of living crisis and what that means for many people, in that really what it, what it does is it, it focuses us on, on our, the fact being that Jesus is our only hope. That was a really helpful reminder for me, we need to be constantly reminded that Jesus is the only hope for this world. And if we're not in that place, we can pray, we can ask God, we can say, God, would you give us your heart? And, and even if we're not in that place yet, we can pray, God, would you give us a heart to pray that you would give us your heart? The second thing that I think we can do in response to this is after praying that God will give us his heart, is, is to pray, and to pray in line with God's heart. The best place maybe to start on this is when Jesus uh, teaches his disciples how to pray. We read this in Luke chapter 11. 
uh, verse 1 to 4. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us how to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and don't let us yield to temptation. We, we want to be people who pray, God, would your kingdom come? Would your will be done here? And give us everything we need to do our part in seeing your kingdom come. We need to be people who pray. And then the third thing maybe we need to do is to persist in prayer, to keep praying. Uh, often we finish that passage there in Luke 11, but I want us to read on from verse 5 because Jesus continues teaching them about prayer. It says, then Jesus, uh, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night and my family, are, family and I are all in bed, I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Uh, we, we, I love that phrase, shameless persistence. Um, we have a neighbor, I won't say how many doors down they live, in case they ever listen to this, unlikely, but who seems to come home at 4 a.m. quite regularly. Uh, this is a man who is probably in his 40s and lives with his mother, and um, he obviously doesn't have his own key for some reason, and at 4 a.m. regularly we are woken up by him knocking and going, Mom! <laughs> Mom! Just until she wakes up and lets him in. It, that is shameless persistence and really annoying for his neighbors, but anyway... We love you. <clears throat> Verse 9. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Shameless persistence. This, this is an interesting one, isn't it? It, it? There's a bit of a mystery around this to me in terms of you know, like, how does this work? What are we, why? Like, why doesn't Jesus just give us what we ask for straight away if it's kind of good and right and aligned with his will? There is absolutely a massive amount of mystery involved in that for me. I, I, I don't know. I don't have a nice, neat answer to this. I sometimes wonder if it's because ultimately God wants a relationship with us above all else and us persisting in prayer means we draw close to him and he, he gets that quality time uh, of, of ours that he so desires. I don't know. There is a huge mystery. But, but Jesus, this, these are the words of Jesus himself saying persist in prayer, inviting us to be shamelessly 
persistent in asking God for things. And the reassurance there is that he has everything that we need. I don't know about you, but I've been struck by um, the, the kind of resilience within the nation of Ukraine in the face of invasion by Russia. And um, I'm sure in future history lessons, um, the words of President Zelensky will be studied when apparently uh, the President of the United States phoned him up um, as Russia was invading his nation and said, look, do you, do you want a, a flight out? Shall we you know, we can get you out of there if you want. And, and he said, um, I don't know if it's written down, so I'm going from memory, and I've forgotten the first line, but he said, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. And uh, there was this sense of, like, if you give us, and they keep saying this over and over again, pleading for weapons from the West, give us the weapons and we will finish the job. Like, we can, we'll do the hard work, we can do this, we just need the weapons. They're pleading with the West for weapons. And in some ways, Jesus is inviting us to plead, to persist, to keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking from him. And at the same time, the reality is that all of heaven's resources are at our disposal. He has everything that we need. And yet, he invites us and asks us to persist in prayer. There is some mystery around this, but we do need to recognize both parts of it. We are invited to persist in prayer, but God doesn't have a shortage of supplies. He doesn't need to ramp up production of the resources he has to share with us. He isn't going to have to worry about retaliation or escalation as he gives us what we need. All of heaven's resources are at our disposal. He has all of that, and yet he invites us to persist in prayer. That's the reality. And so if we wish to see God's kingdom come in our time, if we wish to see God move in power, then I believe that prayer is one of our most powerful weapons. And just like Hudson Taylor said to his fellow missionary, I think he would say to us, brothers and sisters, if you would enter that province, if you would take that ground for God's kingdom, if you would want to see God's kingdom come in your workplace, in your school, amongst your neighbors and friends and family, then you must go forward on your knees. I believe that is what God wants to remind us of today. God wants to see his kingdom come. We want to see his kingdom come come in power. And he invites us to kneel before him and to cry out to him, to pray, God, first off, give us your heart, align our hearts with yours so we know what to pray. And then we pray your kingdom come, and then we continue to persist in prayer. So I want us to respond to this this morning, funnily enough, by praying. (laughs) Who'd have thought it? Um, So musicians, why don't you come up and, uh, and we're just going to, I'm just going to lead us in a bit of a response. I know uh, Melinda's got plans that we're going to be uh, praying into some key areas as well um, in a little while. But, uh, but we're, we're going to, I just want to lead us first as we pray. So do you want to stand maybe? Um, thank you, God.
So maybe you want to just, um, maybe you just want to kind of close your eyes and put your hands out before you as if you're kind of ready and waiting and wanting to receive from God this morning. You don't have to do that. I'm not going to, I've got my eyes closed. I don't know if you're doing it anyway. There's no pressure. But if you're, if you know you need something of God this morning, then maybe just hold out your hands. ready to receive from him. So God, we want to ask for various things this morning from you. The first thing I want to ask for, God, is I want to pray that you would give us your heart. You would align our hearts with yours. Align our desires with yours God where we've fallen for the the lie that life needs to be more like a cruise ship and we're desiring comfort and pleasure and all of our needs being satisfied and having the time of our lives God where we've fallen for that narrative forgive us and remind us that you have called us to a mission You have called us to a battle. You have drawn us to to your army that you are wanting to use to see your kingdom come in our time, in whatever context we find ourselves during the week. God, align our hearts. Give us the heart you have for those colleagues who are far from you and who are lost and broke it. For the family members who have wandered away from you and who are just miserable with life and all it has to offer. God, give us your heart. God, give us your heart for the neighbours who we have that friendly greeting with or get frustrated about shouting at 4am in the morning. Give us your heart for them, God. Help us to see them how you see them, as precious people created by you in your image, who you desire a relationship with. God, give us a heart for maybe those of us who are parents who have kids help us to see them how you see them help us to grow a desire to see them grow in faith and relationship with you God give us your heart give us your heart for the people that society writes off down and outs, the people who've written themselves off. God, give us your heart for these people. Just want to invite you to take a moment, whether you're at home watching on YouTube, whether you're here in the room, just with your hands out before you, 
Jesus when he taught his disciples how to pray. So give us today our daily bread. What is it that you need from God today to what are the resources? What are, what of heaven's resources do you need for, for the mission he's called you to? For the front line you find yourself in? Whether it's school, work, college, uni, neighborhood, social groups, family. What resources do you need? What's that daily bread, that sustenance, that equipping, that weaponry? Maybe some of you today need an injection of strength by the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of you need an airdrop of hope this morning. Maybe you know you just need greater love for others in your life, greater courage, greater faith, whatever it is. Just in the, in the quietness of your heart, just ask God. Ask Keep asking and you will receive. Keep knocking and the door will be open. Keep seeking and you will find. So just come before him and ask for whatever it is this morning that you know you need. generous father who wants to give good gifts to his children you want to equip us for everything that we need God help us to go forward in faith that you are giving us everything that we need you will give us what we need because sometimes we won't know if we've got a parachute strapped to our back or not until we step out of the plane. So help us to go forward in faith in the mission you've called us to. Confident that you are giving us and you will provide everything that we need. You will never leave us short. But also help us, God, to persist in prayer, to be shamelessly persistent for the things we want to see you do, God. Help us to be a people of prayer, a church who go forward on our knees. Help us to recognize our own limitations, but your unlimited resources. Thank you, God.